Bibles today, please, to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. We've been working our way through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and now we've come to the grand finale. I'd like to talk to you today about God's promises, how sure they really are. As you remember, Peter is uh, just about to be uh, crucified. Tradition said he was crucified upside down uh, because he requested that. He didn't feel that he was worthy uh, to die like Christ died. I can just imagine him doing that. Uh, when you study his life in the Bible and see how uh, verbose, how impetuous, uh, how dogmatic he was, uh, I can visualize that. Verse number one of chapter three says, Beloved, I now write to you the second letter, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. It's interesting, I challenge you to go back and read first and second, read first and second Peter and see how many times he talks about reminding them about something. Uh, repetition is indeed the best teacher. Uh, we have to hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it, and then finally, uh, sometimes we get it. And so he says, listen, this is your reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Don't forget what the Old Testament prophets said. Keep these in front of you. Somebody came in this morning and said, boy, I'm just having a good time reading the Old Testament right now. That's what Peter's talking about right here. Don't forget the prophets. Keep them fresh on your mind because, uh, because the Old Testament and the New Testament fit perfectly together. Someone said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so they fit together like a glove. Peter says, listen, just, you just be thinking about what the prophets have been saying and not only thinking about the Old Testament, uh, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord. And so what he's talking about is Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, put them together. Uh, be reminded of both Testaments, all that we said. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Now we've seen this before in Second Peter. One of the characteristics of false prophets is their lustful lifestyle, uh, their emphasis on freedom at, at expense of holiness. And so he says here, these scoffers, this, uh, these people that are just scoffing at what you, what you believe, uh, they're walking according to their own desires, not the desires of God, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, I've underlined that because that's the, that's the main issue right here in chapter 3. Uh, where is the promise? This promise you keep talking about. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. That was their, that was their challenge to Christianity. For this they willfully forgot. Uh, Peter says, now how do we deal with somebody like this that, that challenges these things? Well, he said, listen, first of all, I want you to know that they forgot some important things. By the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, they've forgotten about the creation. Who, who created the world? 
by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He said they've forgotten about the creation, they've forgotten about the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved. The world as we know it is, is preserved. We know that by God. He keeps it all going. And it's reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is, in other words, above time. God is not restricted, like you and I are, uh, to live in absolute terror of our watch. You know, I was thinking about this this last week. You know, I'm just watching it, watching it, and it's ticking and ticking, and I've got to do this at this time and that at this time, and I've got to work it all in. Well, Peter says, listen, God's not on our schedule. He's got a different way to handle time. Uh, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And then here's one of my favorite verses. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to return, as some count slackness. He's not slow. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think this is on God's mind all the time. Uh, we have it mentioned so many different ways in, in the New Testament uh, and in the Old Testament as well. The Bible says God is not pleased with the death of the wicked. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now we're, we're talking about, remember, the earth that is preserved and reserved for fire until the day of judgment. It's called, uh, part of it is called the day of the Lord. Will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements that melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now, the false teachers are noted for their lustful ways, and believers are supposed to be noted for their holy and, and godly ways. Looking for and hastening. I've underlined this because we'll hit this in a minute. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Can what we do in the church, can what we do in our Christian life really speed up, fast forward the second coming of Jesus? Uh, it seems that may be so. Looking for and the hastening of the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. There's a lot of heat going on in these verses. Have you noticed that? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay? God's promises are sure. You know, when Peter wrote uh, the second book, he's, it's a, right before his death, we believe, uh, he started out by talking about our precious faith. The thing that brings us together this morning is uh, our faith in Christ. It's the, it's, uh, it's the beginning point. It's the starting line. It's where we all begin our journey. He calls it precious. I call it priceless. Uh, he also talks uh, in the beginning, chapter 1 of Second Peter, about the precious promises. He calls them exceeding great and precious promises. 
One of the promises that was attacked in this day, as of course in our day as well, was the promise of the second coming, scoffers of the second coming of Christ. I think you know that the early church believed that Jesus was coming back imminently at any moment. They lived in light of that. Uh, they, just, uh, they just knew that uh, maybe it could be tonight or tomorrow, the morning. And that's a nice way to live, really, because it just kind of keeps you going the right direction, and, and you just, you just want to use all your time to its fullest for the Lord. Amen? I tell you every now and then about the little church, I, part of my grown-up years in Sheridan, my old-time preacher, when he preached the Bible, when he preached about heaven, you wanted to go, and when you preached about hell, you didn't. And when he preached about the second coming of Christ, you just knew it was going to be on that day. I would leave the church as a little kid, and I'd be looking up. I'd say, boy, look at that cloud. I think the Lord could come right through there right now. And I'll tell you, it had an impact on me. And so the false scoffers, they come, and they want to wrest that away from you and me. Uh, They want to cast a dispersion on the second coming of Christ. Uh, Well, uh, he says here, I'm reminding you. First of all, I want to remind you of the prophet's words. Uh, you know, the prophets talked a lot about the, about the coming of Christ because, you know, when, when we think about the second coming of Christ, I think, I don't know what comes to your mind first, but what comes to my mind, first of all, is the rapture. That comes to my mind first. That didn't come to their mind in the Old Testament. You know what came to their mind first? Judgment. Judgment. God's coming in judgment. Because that's all part of the second coming. Uh, The rapture, the kingdom, God's judgment. uh, Those are are all part of the whole thing. And so he says, I want you to be reminded of the prophets. Now Jude, in his little book, and I tell you, you know, if you want to start reading your Bible, and and, uh, you could start right there. You could read one chapter in Jude. You could say, hey, listen, I read one of the books of the Bible today. You could get it. Uh, Jude has something interesting to say about what the prophets said. Jude Jude 1.14. Okay, let's read this. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Hold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all, who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Wow. The key word there is what? Sure. Uh, It really is. The Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints to do what? Execute judgment. Judgment is coming. Uh, he's quoting Enoch, seventh in generation from Adam. He said, listen, uh, he said, I just want you to know that God's judgment is coming. And the apostles, uh, they were teaching things like this too. They had the same message. Uh, of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 300 references about the second coming of Christ. That's the rapture, that's the resurrection, that's the judgment, and the, that's the kingdom. And so, um, and so what 
Peter, first of all, is saying here is, listen, I want you to stay awake. I want you to stay awake. And so when you read what the prophets are saying, and you read, now listen, and you're reminded of what the apostles are saying, or that all fits together, it kind of tends to awaken you. And we need to stay awake. You know why? Because we're accustomed, we get accustomed to God's truth. We really do. Some of us are pretty full and spiritually pretty heavy. We get accustomed to these things. And uh, we tend to drift off because we have so ingested and digested uh, the truth of God. Uh, we, are, we are so hungry for more of the truth of God that we tend not to really respond to the truth that we already have. And so I think in all of this he's saying stay awake. Romans 13, 11 says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so I think that's the first thing he's trying to get us to see. Uh, I'm reminding you, stay awake. Uh, they, they accused uh, Christians uh, and said that nothing ever changes. Uh, this is the message of the last days. These teachers had denied the deity of Jesus, and therefore they denied the second coming. What about this promise? Why hasn't this happened? Nothing has changed from the beginning. And so he begins to deal with that here, and we read about it. He says they, they have forgotten a few things. They have forgotten God's divine interruptions. You know, there are many people that have the same argument today. In fact, somebody just told me the other day that somebody was telling them that same thing. Uh, listen, everything is the same. Don't tell me anything is going to be different. They forgot the creation in verse number 5. They forgot that the world burst into being at God's word. And uh, in Genesis chapter 1, he, he said repeatedly, God said, God said, God said. Out of the water, notice that. The word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Uh, the earth was between two bodies of water, one a canopy over it, uh, one the waters of the deep under it. And whenever the flood came, God broke both of those up, and it, they came crashing down on the earth from both directions. Uh, I know some of you have read about uh, the creation well, and you know that some people believe that that canopy of water over the earth filtered out the ultraviolet rays, and it caused kind of a, a greenhouse effect, and people lived longer during those days. Boy, you know, when you read the first part of Genesis, this guy was 900, and he was 950, and he was 830, and can you imagine a family reunion for a guy like that? Uh, man, he's got all Ancestry.com right in his pocket right there. Uh, well, after, that, the, after the water canopy came down and the floods of, uh, broke up and the earth was destroyed, that changed. Uh, they forgot the flood again at his word. God spoke the word. The rainstorm, the fountains of the deep were broken. Uh, but God did promise, and as you know, if you read it recently, not to destroy the earth again by, by water. And he gave that neat sign, right? The sign of what? The rainbow, right? And every time I see that rainbow, I think of uh, Genesis chapter 9. He says, listen, you just watch the rainbow. I'm not going to do it this way again. He didn't say he wasn't going to do it. He just said he wasn't going to do it that way again. 
The Bible says here, and we read it, and this is interesting in verse number seven, that the earth is preserved. This fits perfectly with Colossians 1, 16 and 17. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he was before all things, and by him all things consist. All things hold together. He's reserved this earth for destruction by fire. You know, there are several refining fires. The refining fires for God's people and the burning fire are for, is for unbelievers. Well, you know, we've often thought, and I know that as long as I have lived, we, we lived through the, I lived through the Cold War, and we were always worried about some deranged person pushing the button and blowing the whole world up. And now we're worried about all of these countries that have hijacked uh, atomic weapons. Uh, we're, uh, one of these days, God's going to push the button, and uh, it, the, the earth is going to be burned. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. I was reading in a commentary about that. The commentator said, listen, the heavens are full of stars, comets, and asteroids. The core of the earth is filled with a flaming, boiling liquid lake of fire. The temperature is around 12,400 degrees Fahrenheit. The human race is separated by that fiery core of earth by only ten, a, a thin crust of 10 miles. And more than that, the whole creation is a firebomb due to its atomic structure. And so one of these days, uh, from heaven and from earth beneath again, this destruction is going to come. God's going to push the button. Malachi 4.1. Do we have it? Let's read that. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Well, the prophets of old just kept telling them, This day is coming in the future. All of man's achievements up in smoke. What a, what a strange thing. Uh, the believers will not be here on earth when God speaks this judgment. We'll be with the Lord. The next thing Peter talks about in this passage is God's patience and the day of the Lord. And, uh, and we read it there that God has a special time schedule, timetable. He's not bound by time. He transcends time. He's above it. Uh, he lives in the realm of eternity. Uh, you and I are ruled by it, aren't we? And, uh, but uh, they were accusing God of being off schedule. He wasn't paying any attention to the world. But God's promises are sure, according to verse number 9. The Lord is not slack, slow, concerning his promise to return. Uh, he's not in a hurry. We are, but he isn't. Years ago in that little church, I'd tell you about every now and then, we used to have testimony meetings. They were quite popular back in those days. We only had about 30 people, and we used to like to talk to each other in the church. And so the pastor would say, well, let's give a testimony. And boy, we had some people that could really give testimonies. And I was just a young kid, and I didn't have any testimony to give. I, just, I was a listener. We'd have all the old Christians, and they would say, boy, I just can't wait for the coming of the Lord. I'm just so excited the Lord could come at any time. And I thought to myself, that doesn't excite me at all. 
I want to get my driver's license. I man, I want to get my hands on that car out in the parking lot, you know, and 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 uh, things like that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm one of those older saints now, and I'm ready to meet the Lord. I know where they're coming from. Uh, God's uh, promises are sure; they're not slack. Uh, he wants no one to perish, eternal destruction, but all to repent. Uh, why, why does he wait? Someone said one time, love is the reason he waits. Now, this is hard for us to understand. It really is. Because if it would have been you or me, we'd have pushed the button long ago, right? Love is the reason God's wait. Do you know how we wait for people by love? How many times have I heard people in the church say, you know, I just... I just believe, I'm, we're just waiting for them to come to God. And you look at them and you say, listen, won't you ever wear out? Won't you ever get tired of waiting? How long will you wait? Uh, now listen, if we care that much about waiting for somebody to come to God, what do you think God does? That's why he's waiting. He is not slow concerning his promise to return, as some people think, but is long-suffering to us, not willing, not willing that any should perish. Oh, man, that is so, so powerful. So powerful. First uh, Timothy 2.4 says this. Paul says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, his coming is going to be a surprise when he does come. Luke 12.40 we have that. Okay, let's read that. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. Well, the Lord's coming back. And all these things that are prophesied in the Bible are going to happen, just like his first coming happened. First Thessalonians 5, 2 says, for, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Thieves in the night don't come out with announcements, do they? They come when you least expect them. Well, our present lifestyle and eternal state, he tells us in verse number 11, he says, listen, I want you to live a holy life as compared to those who are driven by their own lust. Our lives should reflect God's standard of behavior. And uh, then he says, I want you to look forward to the future. I've talked to people... Uh, one of our good members said, you know, I just hate the book of Revelation. He says, I get so scared when I read that. I said, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, most of it's not for you. First book of the Bible, whenever I started to grow in God, the first book of the Bible I wanted to read was Revelation. I wanted to know the end of the story. Right, Hal? I think you did that too. I think it scared you half to death, though, but I, I should have warned you. But, you know, after you read it a few times, you realize... Now listen, this is something to be afraid of, but it's not for us. It's God's judgment coming on, on unbelievers. And he talks about here looking forward to the future. We should not fear it. Uh, and then he talks, and then he makes, there's this strange statement in verse number 12. Look at this. Looking for and hastening. Uh, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. I, I looked this up in a number of commentaries. And it seems like we have some, some reason to believe that this actually can happen. It looks like it. How can we hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, remember when Jesus was teaching the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? 
kingdom come. He said, I want you to pray for the kingdom to come. And so every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, Lord, we're just ready uh, for your kingdom to come to earth. We're ready for judgment. We're ready for the rapture. We're ready for the resurrection. And so when we pray that, uh, and then, of course, in Revelation 22, 20, I think that's the last verse in the Bible, he who testifies to these things, saying, surely I am coming quickly, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That could be on our lips today, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But, you know, most of us want to wait a little longer, don't we? We, we want to go to heaven, but not today. Uh, we have other friends we'd like to take with us, right? Well, can we hasten the Lord's coming? Well, we can pray for the kingdom. And we can bring people to Christ. Romans 11.25 talks about the number of Gentiles grafted into the tree of faith. Uh, I don't know if God has an exact number, but maybe he did. He does deal in numbers. Remember, uh, whenever he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham was dealing with God about numbers. He said, well, what about 50 or 45 or 30 or, you know, how about 20? I'm embarrassed. Uh, well, I, the Lord is gathering uh, his church today. And uh, one of these days he's going to come. And Matthew uh, 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. And this verse has motivated a lot of people. And it's actually going to be fulfilled one day. And I, I think uh, Revelation chapter 14 talks about the fulfilling of it. Um, the angels in heaven uh, will come and, uh, and preach the gospel. Well, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The heavens and the earth have been waiting for a long time for their cleansing and redemption. You know, the earth as we know it today is not the way God created it. When God made the earth, he put Adam in, in that wonderful garden and he said, here's a hoe, here's a rake. The first vocation was horticulture. And he was very happy. When he planted a, a tomato, it made tomatoes. He didn't have to weed too much. Uh, and, but after the earth was cursed, things became a whole lot more difficult. And so the earth is going to be cleansed. Uh, uh, all of creation is going to be cleansed. The curse will be removed. And we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Where righteousness dwells. Now, won't that be nice? Where righteousness dwells. Because unrighteousness causes so much pain in people's lives, doesn't it? It's incredible. Uh, you know, whenever you, saw, whenever you follow the Lord, I know that it's not the easiest path in the world, but it's sure a whole lot better than anything the world has to offer. Nothing even comes close. Yeah, the Bible does say those who... Those who follow him will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to, to follow Christ will suffer persecution. But I'll tell you, persecution is, uh, is great if you have the glory of God on you because the Bible says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were able to suffer shame for his name. You know, uh, most Christians have more have more joy being persecuted for Christ than anybody who lives an ungodly life paying the wages of sin. Uh, the Bible says the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. 
Uh, Ray Beach was for 20 or 30 years the chaplain of the Washington County Jail. And uh, he gave his life to Christ in our church. And, and he told me many, many times, he said 90% of the people in that jail are there for alcohol or drugs. That's it. That's why they're there. If those things were gone, the jails would be empty. Uh, the wages of sin is an awful thing. People's lives are just taken away from them. You and I know that. I don't have to elaborate. But uh, we, uh, we have a wonderful hope in the Lord, not only, not only for now, but for eternity. And uh, our hope, uh, our hope uh, is to be at peace. Let's look at verse number 14. Therefore, beloved, look forward to those things. Wow. Look forward to those things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. It's wonderful to, to, to know where the world is going and where you're going, isn't it? It's wonderful to, to have a little bit of insight into the future. We can be at peace now. There's nothing as important as peace, is there? I remember one guy came in who was a very successful person, and I'll tell you what, success has nothing to do with peace. He came into my office one time, and he said he could hardly talk. And he said, the only thing I want, the only thing I want is peace in my home. That's all I want. Well, you know, when you have peace in your home, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And so when we have peace in our heart, it, it reaches into our home and it touches the people of our home. And this is talking about having peace now. Yeah, I get up in the morning. I go to the Drudge Report. I have a heart attack. I flip over to foxnews.com, second heart attack. Newsmax, third heart attack. After I get over that, I have peace <laughs> again, <laughs> because I realize that the Lord, <laughs> that the Lord has a plan and He has a future, and I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it, and we're in His hand. Uh, it's a place where righteousness dwells. Our, you know, our hope is, uh, our hope is not in this world, is it? And He ends this passage. He ends this passage with a warning, and and He's been warning us of. It, in his books here. Because, you know, it's so easy for us, for you and me, to get puffed up. Because we may know a little bit more about what's going on in the world, and we may know a little bit more about how God works in the world. And easy for us to get puffed up. Uh, look at verse number 15. Here's another verse that is connected to 3.9. Look at it. And consider that the, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He waits for the saved. As also our beloved brethren Paul, now he quotes Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all the letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures." Now look at this. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. 
Don't get puffed up. You too can go down. Not your salvation, but your steadfastness. Uh, your ability to persevere as a Christian and be effective for God. Uh, your testimony can dissolve. Your effectiveness can dissolve. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest what? He fall. When he gets to the end, he says, I want you to guard yourself. And then, I mentioned this to you last week. One of the first verses that I somehow... I didn't do it on purpose. It was like by accident, learned to memorize, was 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and I said to you before, the last few weeks, that uh, insurance against false doctrine is to know the original so that you can spot the fake. And the way that we know the original is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And as we grow in the things of God, God gives us spiritual discernment uh, that we can, we can see the false doctrine and false teaching coming. Well, uh, Peter uses this word beloved uh, four times here in Second Peter. And that's a very interesting word. It's, a, it's an affectionate word. It means much loved. Now, you just, Peter's drawn this all together, and he's given you and me a letter for our lifetime. And he uses this word much loved four times. He's getting ready to die. He's going to be crucified. And he says, much loved, be mindful of these words. Verse number one. He says, much love, do not, do not forget God's timetable is not yours. And that's something we all have to remember, isn't it? Because we give God 39 minutes to do what we need. And God's got no way to, he's not on that schedule. Uh, beloved, be diligent. Verse 14, be diligent. Pay the price. We started out this journey in First and Second Peter and we said that spiritual growth doesn't come cheap. It takes effort. Uh, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing well. It's worth putting effort into it. And you can grow. You can grow in God. Uh, God never asked you to do anything. He wouldn't give you the power to do. And it says, be diligent. And then he says here in verse 17, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. Well, in this... Uh, this, this last chapter, we have three worlds. The old world, our world, and the future world. Uh, you and I are excited to look forward to the future world, but we have our world to deal with, deal with don't we? Let's be a good steward of our world. And I exhort you today, I encourage you, Take your spiritual life seriously because at the end of the road, you will wish you did. At the end of the road. There are a million and one things that you can become involved in all to take your mind off of the things of God. Amen. And so what you have to do and I have to do is dedicate ourselves to the proposition 
that I will grow as a Christian. And I believe as you and I grow as a Christian that God will solidify our faith and give us a fruitful ministry. And boy, I'll tell you, that's what I want. And that's what I want from you, for you too. I don't want anybody in this church this morning to get to the end of the road and look back and say, you know, I put so much effort in things that really didn't amount to anything for eternity. Let's put our effort where it really pays in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Do not be an anemic Christian. Be a vibrant Christian. Be an overflowing Christian. There's only one way to do that. That's to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning, I, I hope you got the message. I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you because, because I know that, that I can lose some of my steadfastness just as easy as anybody else because we're all made out of the same clay. Uh, and so the thing that ensures me to gr- in my Christian walk is to grow in Christ. I want to encourage you to grow. I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've been kind of on hold, a holding pattern. You're, you're just flying around the airport. You don't know how to get down. You don't know how to go up. You're just stuck in holding. You're not growing. Well, I want to encourage you to make a decision this morning to grow. And that's what it is. It's a decision. It's, it's not going to happen to you unless you say, hey, listen, I want this. I want this real bad. Uh, I, I want to encourage you to want it because everything good comes from it. And everything wasteful comes for the lack of it, of the lack of it. And so as we wait upon the Lord this morning, uh, just speak to the Lord. Just uh, say, Lord, uh, I'd like to have a little revival in my soul today. Take me back to the time that I hungered and thirsted for you. Help me to grow. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for your eternal word. And we pray now that as we give the invitation... Uh, For those who might like to come today and kneel and say, Lord, touch my heart, cleanse my heart, draw me closer to you.